Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. everybody and welcome to a special bonus episode in our first season of Wild Wild Podcast. So we've just finished talking about Italians in space and the reason that I wanted to do this was because I was inspired by a book called Science Fiction Italian Style written by Matt Blake and I'm very pleased to say that I have Matt Blake down the line uh, and has agreed to come onto the podcast to tell us why he loves Italian and European cinema so much. Uh, Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. So let's start with, um, I believe you started off writing in fanzines back in the 90s. And was that European film then? Has it always been yeah, European film for you? it's always been European film. I don't know why. Um I guess back in the day, it's kind of, I think there was a whole kind of host of people of a similar inclination who, who back in the kind of dogger days of the video stores and, and so on, discovered these Italian and, and Spanish films and and just kind of grew obsessed with them in the way that slightly nerdy, um, the idiosyncratic people do. Um, you know, it was all kind of, yeah post-apocalypse movies and, and horror movies that everyone got into. And there was a group of people and we all kind of met up quite a bit and saw each other and it was it was just good fun. Um, but yeah, it's always been Italian and Spanish. <laughs> I mean, they're just, although ironically, they are very often ripping off other things, at the same time, they're just not really like anything else. And so once you've seen these, you, it's like a whole new world of stuff you've never seen before. Yeah, it, it d- depends which ones you're watching. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, that they. Yeah, it depends on the genre. It depends on the types of films. I mean, mm. if you're talking the the science fiction films, some of them are pretty carbon copy ish, but slightly demented at the same time. Uh, yes. <laughs> if if you're talking things like Jolos or, or genres like that, they 
the films mm. have a very unique atmosphere and ambience, um, which mm. I don't think you get anywhere else apart from, you know, in some modern day kind of equivalents of them, which, which are, you know, very classically, um, you know, well done in a way, but they're also slightly soporific <laughs> and they're mm. slightly, they're, they're slightly trance-like and, and some people will have a real struggle with them. But if you get into them, yeah, they're, they're, there's nothing quite like them. Yeah. Um, so, so your first book, I believe, was the Euro Spy Guide, which I think that's possibly still the book you're the best known for, isn't it? Yeah, that that did very well. So that one. Yeah. So yeah. So I, I guess I I'm I'm quite happy to admit that I'm a bit of an obscurist. I'm, hmm. I don't have any urge to write about things that other people have written about at great length before. Hmm. I can't imagine anything more boring than doing a book on Mario Barber. Um, <laughs> Because, like, you know, what's the point? Everyone's done it before and better. So I've always kind of gone to things that people haven't written about or looked into or done anything about. Um, so when I did the fanzine, I, I kind of wrote about people like George Hilton, Anthony Stephan, um, who were starting to get better now, known at the time, but were still quite obscure. Hmm. Oh, and we then, should say, what was the fanzine called? Oh, it was called it was called the cheese plant. Don't ask right. me why. <laughs> so, it was, you know, random. I think I managed to sell up to about fifty copies at one point, which I was wow. very impressed with. But you know, it's yeah. good, good fun. Um, mm. It was back in the days of kind of you know stapling photocopied pieces of paper together in your bedroom. Um, mm. But yeah, so then then I did a, then I did a book, the US Spy Guide. I did that with a guy called David Deal, who's in the states, um, mm. and that was just because I kind of people heard that I was writing one and David was doing something at the same time in a similar area and we oh. said oh let's join forces that'll make life easier so we just did it together um and the spy films I because I was just I, I I got into the spy films and again you know in those days there weren't torrents you know <clears throat> not that we torrent um and uh you, you had to get hold of these films from places and and I just ended up with quite a big collection of them and you know buying them from Greece and Holland and so on and so on. And, and then I knew other collectors and we'd all swap them over and, and so on. But yeah, the spy forms, they were kind of fascinating. They're not very good, I'd, I'd say. I, I possibly shouldn't say that. There's no, you know, they're, they're a strange genre because spy films aren't like Westerns. Um, you know, the Italian Westerns, you can look at them and you can say there are some absolute classic Western films. Yes, I'd struggle to say there are some absolute classic Italian spy films. There's some decent ones and good ones, but not yeah, that's fair enough. Iconic. Um, no, they they just didn't really. I guess partly they didn't travel all that well, and so they're not as like the, the westerns obviously did very well in the in the English in their English language versions, but. Yeah, these tended to, they they didn't always travel that far. Some of them did again, but yeah, I, I don't know. They did they did pretty well. I mean, a lot of them did very well in in kind of strange places. Not so much here, um, and not mm. so much, but in you know, definitely in the Middle East and Africa, they were massive. Right, okay. um, so, you know, yeah, there's people like I remember reading Giorgio Ardison told a story about how he he disembarked in somewhere like Libya from a plane and got absolutely mobbed by people who all knew him as James Bond. So they, they, they did get quite well seen though. They, they were big money spinners, but they didn't have that, that. I mean, you know, they were kind of carbon copies of, of yeah. the West, uh, the kind of, you know, 
American spy films and English spy films. They, they didn't get that Italian tinge to them, apart from in some subtle ways. I mean, I love, I love the spy films, but they're not. Yes, because they were often um, cut, you know, like sort of European co-productions, weren't they? So you'd yeah. get some German cast, some Spanish cast, some Italian cast, some French cast. Yeah. And the, the adventure that the spy goes on just depends on which countries are funding the film. So he might have to go and have an adventure in a bull ring somewhere in Barcelona, and then he's got to <laughs> exactly. then he's got to jet jet off to Bruges or whatever. He's got to then he's got to nip down to Rome. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It all just depends on where the money's coming from. But your book, um, I actually used your book as part of my PhD because um, I was writing about you, the distribution of European popular cinema in the UK. Yeah, and so I ended up I ended up doing two chapters on Euro spy films. Um, and so I, I persuaded the, the Sussex Library now has a copy of your book in it because I got them to buy one in. I, I, do, hope, I do hope every university library yeah, across England has a copy in the book. Yeah, I mean, well, but, but you're I absolutely right. Got it in mind. It's really interesting. It's something that people don't write about enough. Um, mm. When you're reading kind of books about um, film in general, but especially kind of like the, the the Italian and the Spanish side is the whole distribution side and the whole production mm. side, which is fascinating in itself. Yeah. Um, you know, the way the the pre-sales of films so that, you know, basically people were making films without having to make profit most of the time. <laughs> Anything they made was was a lovely bonus. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's a whole art and it's an area I, I, I would love to understand more about and, and do a bit more research into. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I was looking at, I mean, I had, obviously there are so many that I just picked out a few key examples that I could use that um, I talked about the Agent 077 films yep. like from the Orient. For, from the Orient with Fury was actually the ty- the original title of my whole PhD, yeah. although I, I did change it later on, but I, that was one of the films. And also, um, what else did I use? Oh, OSS 117, the French yep. spy films. They're really good fun with Curly yeah. Matthews. I really like those. Yep. Um, and also I picked up on a German one called Bonditis. Did you? Oh, I did. I reviewed that. that was it German yeah. or Swiss or something? Yeah, I, I yeah, can't remember yeah. much about it. Sh- yeah. shot, in, shot in Switzerland. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they are good fun. But, yeah, I think it's it's a fair point that they, they're they not particularly memorable other than to people like us. Like, they've, yeah. they never caught on. Yeah. At the time, they did okay, but people no. don't look back on them now. And well, they don't get DVD and Blu-ray releases now, like a lot of other cult films. No, that there was a there was a spell back when I was kind of about twenty-five. When I was writing the book, actually, it was, I think one of the reasons it did so well was because of the timing. Because around the time that it came out, just a bit before, it was a there was a bit of a, a lounge revival, you know, um, lounge core or whatever you want to call mm. it, whereby suddenly yeah. all of these spy soundtracks got released, um, and it did go into a bit bit mainstream. So you had kind of lots of bands like air and so on who were, who were coming out who were kind of digging out in the same kind of sounds that you got on the soundtracks and that's one thing about the spy films i do love is the soundtracks like the yeah. westerns the soundtracks are are, are awesome and look, I, I don't want to do them down I, I do love the spy films and i love watching mm. them and they're really good fun of course um yeah. but I, it's just i am if if the western the italian western the italian giallo the italian crime film they, they have films which I think are stand up in comparison to mm-hmm. any films, full stop. Whereas the spy yeah. film, I don't think has that to the same extent. <laughs> so, <laughs> no. 
but yeah but no they are good fun and they're really fascinating to yeah. to study as yeah. well i think your book still remains the definitive text on the eurospy which must be nice yeah i i do know um uh marco Gisti did a really good italian language one um mm. that's that's really good he's got you know it's far better than i think my one was because it's got a lot more interview material and he's you know he knows all the people who made them he's um oh, right. a very good writer okay i'm not I, translated but not translated i have at times thought about doing it again or doing a different one because mm. i i don't know how happy i am with that book to be honest um just because i think i know a lot more about the subject now than i did then so, right. you so an, an expanded that. volume then at some point in the future maybe maybe it's one in the backlog but the yeah. backlog has a lot of things in it <laughs> true so you mentioned actually you mentioned Giorgio Ardison so you yeah. actually wrote a book specifically about him do you want to tell us a little bit about that called Giorgio Ardison the Italian James Bond yeah um so yeah that no while doing the spy film book I just got interested in lots of the kind of actors who are involved in it and this mm. this guy Giorgio Ardison I just got got very into his films. Not so much. I mean, he's a, he's a decent actor. He's he's got a screen presence. He's good. But mm. it was more the films he was in, which are, are, are really you know he he epitomised the Italian popular cinema environment at the time in which he was working. You know, he started off in peplums, in, in quite good peplums. Um, yeah, working with Barva and so on. He then became a massive star in these spy films. And was a very big, big kind of name in Italy for a short period. And then his career kind of, he did a couple of giorlos, did a couple of cop thrillers. And his, his career just kind of, it didn't tail off exactly, but it, the films he made were reflective of the, the films that were being made in Italy as a whole. So in a way, his career is like a microcosm of the Italian film macrocosm, if you want to put it like that. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that's almost why I found him so fascinating. And then at the end, he made a, a whole bunch of films with people like Sergio Pastore, <laughs> which are just completely bizarre. Um, and that's another reason I, I got interested. So, so yeah, so that, that was an interesting one. And again, like I say, I'm, I'm attracted to obscure subjects. You're never going to sell many copies of a book on Giorgio Ardison. But I do know that he, he read it before he died. Oh, and he great. was very happy that someone had written a book about it. So... That's really cool. <laughs> Uh, that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, people might know him as well for things like, uh, obviously, Hercules and the Haunted World, yep. which is a classic. I really like the Long Hair of Death, the Antonio yeah. Liberty film. And he did Eric the Conqueror as well. Yeah. Um, and also, I just noticed he's in Challenge the Devil, which is that um, what was previously a really obscure Christopher Lee film that just got released in a Severin box set. So. People, yes. are people are discovering him again now in that one yeah 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 absolutely he, cool. he, he also has a lovely thing which i love about him which is he, he looks a little bit like the ex-prime minister john major um in, in certain <laughs> things so you're kind of watching a spy film with john major which is um nice uh, <laughs> it's entertaining there's a reference that our American listeners will have no idea who John Major is. Yeah, yeah look, at, look at a picture. Look at a picture comparing Giorgio Ardison yeah. and John Major. You'll, you'll, you'll get it. I'm just um, picturing you've, ru you've ruined his films for me now. <laughs> there's, there's one he did, which is, I think, it's far, far from his best, but it's, it's, 
it's one that I just have a, a particular loving for where it's directed by Alfonso Brescia. I'm just trying to remember the name. And it's a giorlo where he plays an oppressed husband um, who's obsessed with his fish, which he keeps in a fish tank. And he's oppressed and he ends up murdering his wife and carrying her, her body around in a suitcase all around Spain. Um, and, and it's absolutely hilarious. I mean, Brescia didn't make one good film apart from this one, which is kind oh, of yeah, like intentionally um, good. Um, yeah, I mean, Alfonso. Corpo. Yeah. So it's um, yeah. Your Sweet Body. I, I Murder Your Sweet Body, something like that. I'm trying to do very, very, oh, Your Sweet Body. Your sweet body to kill. That's the translation on the IMDb. That's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. My my Italian yeah. is still very basic. Yeah, I mean Alfonso yeah. Brescia. We're gonna we'll talk about him when we get to the sci-fi movies. But um, <laughs> what do we have to? Yeah. <laughs> I know well, we like him, but <laughs> we've we've done two episodes on his films. So. <laughs> I mean, someone's got to. I guess. Yeah, yeah it's pretty bad. So, yeah, you, but yeah. you mentioned you mentioned that he mentioned that he did. Um, kind of crime films as well. And I was interested, you did a book, you did a book a few years ago called In the Name of the Law, Italian Crime Films. But I, when I saw that, I assumed it was going to be Poliziotesky, but then you've actually yeah. kind of, you kind of deliberately cut cut it well, off before the Poliziotesky got into full swing, which is interesting. There, there's a bit of a story in that one. Um, mm. So, I, so I, I should just say you went from 1945 to 69. Yeah. Which so, is, so, it was planned as the first in a series of books on Poliziotesky. Oh, okay. um, so, and then I was working on it. But at that point, um, Roberto Curti brought out his quite excellent book on the genre mm. um, yeah, in English. The Italian crime filmography. Yeah. Which is so good, you know. Again, it's like I said about Barber. It's not worth my doing anything else on it um, because it's been said. So what, what more is there? Maybe at some point in the future, revisit it and do something else with it. But mm. But that's interesting that you started in 1945. So would that have been loads of like films like Assessione? Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. Like yeah. I early... mean, yeah. So, so you, you can start with a lot of the neorealism films. They, they, they have elements of crime in there. Um, mm. uh, some of them are very per- pertinent today. I mean, some, and the, a lot of the neorealism is a very bizarre genre. It's something that you're putting a kind of genre onto a group of films that are quite disparate in the first place. Yes. Um, but something like, you know, um, Bitter Rice is the one that stands yeah. out to me, which is an oh, absolutely yeah, yeah, brilliant film about, mm. uh, and, you know, it's about, it is a crime film. It, it's got a kind of murder. It's got kind of all, the, it's got gangsters set in um, the rice-picking immigration kind of setting of the Po Valley. Um, mm. You know, it, it's a very... Actually, someone could remake it today and it would be quite an interesting film. But that is a crime film, so it's worth mm. looking at. It's not a Poliziotesky, mm. but it's a crime film, and they do blend into one another, and there is a logical kind of, uh, of, of timeline to them. Mm. Um the genre gets really interesting in the 60s, though, and that's when you start getting yeah. things that you more associate with them. And you get what I, I refer to as kind of like the noir crime, for crime films, um, things like The Professional Killer and Assassination and um, Every Man is My Enemy, which I, I absolutely adore those films. I love those kind of existential people driving around wearing sunglasses in big American cars yeah. kind of films <laughs> um, to a cool jazz soundtrack, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the plan was to then continue it and go into the grungy 70s right. and Thomas Millian and all of those. But yeah, not there's there's no point at the moment. 
Um, and that's the point at which I thought, I'll try to do something different. I'll do science fiction. Who else is going to be mad enough to write about that? <laughs> well, and that's, it's very true. I mean, it's, you are the only one, as far as I can tell, certainly the only person to have written about these films in English. And your book was actually recommended to me by, um, I think Rod mentioned it in an episode of one of his podcasts because he does uh, another podcast called The Bloody Pit and they, they often cover Italian genre film and I've talked on with, their, um, with him on there before because I, I started a few years ago actually um, a blog on Antonio Margheriti who is one of the obviously like the godfathers of Italian sci-fi and mm-hmm. um, we covered a few of his films there and obviously talked about the Gamma One films and all of that stuff. So to discover then that there was a book uh, published quite recently, I think I bought this during lockdown and read it quite quickly during lockdown and was really fascinated that I thought I knew about Italian sci-fi, but then there are just tons of films that I'd never heard of. Yeah. And I mean, I was just amazed. I was amazed that you found copies of some of these movies that you talk about. And I mean, do you, because in my own search for some of the movies to do the podcast, it was a struggle to find some with English subtitles. Do you actually, are you getting these films and are you translating them yourself? Because you also, you're quoting from original reviews and things like, is Italian? Yeah, yeah. So, so the original reviews, I, I have, how can I, how can I put it? I can, I can just about read Italian. Okay. Um, so I'm great. quite happy taking, a, well, actually, let me put it, I'm quite happy taking interviews and things like that, which are mm. relatively easy to translate. Um, they're not too difficult. It, with Spanish films on which we we'll come later on, not so good at Spain, mm. Spanish, but there's always the joy of Google Translate, which makes well, the life yeah. of the film research much easier. <laughs> um, with Italian newspapers, and I do try and kind of include newspaper reviews when I yeah. can. Italian newspapers, translating from Italian newspapers is horrible because um, the language used in Italian newspapers, it's like no one in it- Italy ever writes or speaks. It is absolutely horrible. It's so formalised <laughs> and kind of weird that um, it, it's actually quite difficult translating. Wow. Um, so, yeah, and I'm also not good enough at Italian to really understand it in spoken um, version right. because it's a very okay. different thing. So... If there are films, uh, and a lot of stuff is compared to back in the day, in the you know, kind of turn of the turn of the millennium, you, you couldn't see many of these films. But now with the the torrenting community and so on, there are a lot of them are available in in English or mm. subtitles. I've also got quite used, and it's not the ideal way to doing it, but I did it with the spy book as well to reviewing films while not understanding things that are going on and having kind of broad <laughs> synopses, which I understood and right. watching them in a foreign language. And a lot of the yeah. time with B movies, you can kind of get away with it because, yeah, you know, they're following a formula. They're, they're... Sure. They're not, not particularly subtle. So, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 exactly. And then there's some other films okay. that you can get away with it because they're very visually based, like a lot of the kind of dystopian science fiction films that came out of Italy. Mm. There's hardly any talking in them, so you don't really need to understand English to <laughs> to understand English help um, to understand Italian to um, yeah. to get the gist of what's going on in them. Um, but nowadays, most stuff you can get the, the Spanish stuff. It was even more of a struggle to get stuff which is subtitled. Right. Science fiction yeah. film is better. Um, and you've covered such a huge range of sort of subgenres within sci-fi, and I realised that you about ten years ago you wrote a book about the Fumetti, um, yeah. 
and that some of that ground has been recovered in in this book as well is that right yeah that that one sold out so um right. i thought rather than redoing it as a book in itself um because it was a quite slim book um mm. it was the first one i kind of did all myself rather than going for a, a publisher um again i i'd made that decision because i wasn't entirely happy with the spy one i thought i could probably do it better right um and uh yeah so that one sold out so i thought rather than than redoing it i'll just put in a chapter into here because yeah. it fits in science they, fiction they are all basically sci-fi yeah. Aren't they? Yeah, yeah yeah well there's one or more, two more that kind of i mean a film like criminal is an interesting mm. one because it it's a definitely you know it's very much a fumetti it's one of the core fumetti films but it, yeah. actually it's more like a crime film it's just that some dude is wearing a mask and yeah, that's you know, true yeah so I don't. I I didn't. I think cover that. There's one or two which don't entirely fit okay. in there, but you know most of them do. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward. So what I did with the podcast, we just focused on specifically. We just picked out ten films that were about Italians going into space. Yeah. Um, and I think, but I'm definitely going to come back to the book for later seasons. I want to do a Fumetti season. Yeah. Um, and we're going to do a post-apocalypse season. Oh yes. Um, but you've just got so many, even the really interesting ones. There's quite a few where you've got alien invasions. I mean, who knew that there were Italian <laughs> alien invasion films? I mean, there's not a huge amount, let's be honest, but they're not some. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, all kinds of just stuff that uh, we're very unfamiliar with. And obviously, there's, well, I mean, we might as well, let's get back to him now. So we mentioned before. That we had done two Alfonso Brescia films. I mean, you, for your book, watched all five of his space movies. Yeah. Whereas I only watched, I only watched two. Although I found out later on that perhaps there were, I could have picked a better one from the original four um, that I picked. But yeah, like the writing this book, there must have been times when you were regretting some of your choices. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Um, no, 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 no. It's um, it's very true. Um, when you when you do find yourself watching, you know, an Alfonso Fonso Brescia film in Italian <laughs> without mm. subtitles, you do think, "What am I doing with my life?" Um, mm. But then again, you know, you could be watching yeah. Celebrity Bake Off. That's true. Um, which my family are, as we record. <laughs> Indeed, so mine. <laughs> um, yeah, like because we so we did Cosmos War of the Planets, and yeah. and then we obviously we did Beast in Space, which is I think everybody says how terrible Beast in Space is, but after having watched Cosmos War of the Planets, Beast in Space is like another level entirely. And I, I have. I appreciated it a lot more than if I'd just gone to that one first, I think. It, I mean, it does yeah. help that Beast in Space is at least available in a decent DVD. So it True. looks, it looks, there's a big difference yeah. there. You're looking at something which looks immaculate, even though it's utter mm. trash. And I don't know, maybe if Cosmos War of the Planets or, or one of the other um, masterpieces had a similar restoration project, it would come maybe. out looking just as pristine. Oh, it's, it's... <laughs> <laughs> Let's give him the advantage yeah. of uh, of doubt, shall we? <laughs> no, I mean my favourite films of the ten that we just covered. Um, I think my favourite actually was the last one we did, Escape from Galaxy Three. Oh, my lord, <laughs> I absolutely <laughs> loved that film. It's yeah, it might be alone. It's got camp value, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, the 
the costumes are incredible. The dialogue yeah. is hilarious. Um, there's so much to enjoy with that movie. The fact that they just lifted all that stuff from Star Crash, as yeah. far as I can tell, without permission. Um, <laughs> oh, it's just I, I really, I really enjoyed that one a lot. Um, is that the one I've, yeah. I've, I've, I've kind of forgotten? It's a long time since I reviewed it. Is that the one where it, it kind of suddenly veers into a kind of sex comedy towards the end? Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, because they, they land on they land on Earth. <laughs> And find Sorrel's in the middle of a peplum film. Everyone's walking around in skirts, and they're in some kind of free love society where everyone just lies around having sex with each other. That's the one, yeah. And a couple of heroes have never just—they don't know what sex is, and they have to be taught. And it's, <laughs> it's really funny. It's—I don't know. I don't know if it was supposed to be a comedy or not, but I—I I found it hilarious. Um, and yeah. The, and the disco, the disco soundtrack as well is really, you know. It's so contemporary. Oh, it's great. Yeah. That was Bito Albertini, wasn't it? And yeah. He's, um, he's always quite a reliably cheesy filmmaker. He kind of <laughs> knew what he was doing. He, was, um, he, yeah. he, he, he wasn't completely inept. Um, no. And his films tend to be mildly amusing, but slightly wrong mm. at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So that's, I mean, I should be thanking you. That's one film I don't think I would ever have watched if it wasn't in your book. So it, I don't know. It, yeah, I don't know how to take that. <laughs> right. It was it was really fascinating though to go right back. We watched we did, you know we started with the day the sky exploded, yeah, um, which obviously where you started and just see it was really interesting to cover. We did sort of twenty years of Italian sci-fi, and to see the way the genre developed and it was quite serious to begin with, and then you get the kind of slightly. Flash Gordon-y campness of yeah. the Margariti films, and then you get to the Star Wars ripoffs, and then whatever the hell Beast in Space is. Yeah, um, and it, it's, it was really fun to to do that kind of journey. Again, it um, does it does reflect the wider Italian film kind of journey mm, as well. Um, yeah. So you have got kind of like in the sixties, they're, they're quite sporadic um, in the mm. early sixties, and then they they. Gain in force is kind of like a representation of kind of post Goddard kind of countercultural um, cinema that was popular mm. at the time, which is pretty much unwatchable now. I mean, I'd rather mm. watch a Brescia film again than most of the kind of like art house counterculture um, sci fi films that were floating around in the late 60s, early 70s. Um, yeah. And then, then it kind of. To, I'm, I'm looking into the book now to see if I can spot an example of one of those. Man, and most of them never kind of made it out of um, out of Italy. They're, they're they're terrible things. Tinto Brass did a couple. Um, I, to to oh, be honest, no, I've, yeah. I've put the names out of my mind now. The <laughs> Seeds of Man is quite a good one. Um, that's a oh a, yes, um, yeah, Marco Ferreri one. And there was a good one by um, Bruno, uh, not Bruno Corbucci, um, Bruno Gaburo, um, which is called I've forgotten the name of it. Um, but yeah, decent one of Bruno Gaburo with Philip Philippe Leroy um, as well. Um, what the hell is it called? That's going to really annoy me. I'm I'm going to think of that and it'll come back. But there's one or one or two that are quite decent, but they're, they're all very much bound up in that kind of um, you know. It, it's all about basically it's kind of student riots. It's hippies it's kind of things going on it's sucking it to the man and the man's and you know mechanization is all automatic you know all all wrong and it's it's a very idiosyncratic time um such a lot of crap was talked and kind of 
made. Um, and then kind of like the genre kind of went into the 70s and it became all big and glitzy and kind of Star Wars-ish in a very not very big and glitzy fashion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the humanoid is amazing. Ah, brilliant. I, yeah, star, I, you know, I, I count myself as being very rare in that I actually prefer Star Crush to Star Wars. So, <laughs> give me Fair give me enough. star crash any day <laughs> yeah so oh the the film you're talking about bruno caburo is eke homo that's the one yeah that's that's yeah. a decent film that's good again i don't yeah, found it. think it's english language um but again there's not much language in it full stop um and it's yeah. pretty much all filmed on one beach um so it was made for <laughs> literally about a thousand pounds it's got a very good cast though Mm. Um, and it's, it's it, that, that's an interesting one, um, but so, some of those films are absolutely desperately pretentious. Um, mm. So, but yeah, and then, then you've got the eighties sci-fi where the whole genre and the whole Italian cinema is petering out, and it it, it gets pretty desultory watching some of those. I mean, it, um, you know, you're watching filmmakers like Romolo Guerrieri, who's a very competent filmmaker who made some excellent giallos and crime films. And he's driven to the depths of making is it the final executioner, which is one of the worst of the post-apocalypse kind of movies. <laughs> so oh, it's, it is yeah. a bit sad <laughs> in a way. <laughs> but, but yeah. So yeah, it is interesting. Sci-fi reflects cinema, cinema reflects culture. You know, they all tie together. Yeah. yeah. No, it's really fascinating. And and there are just obviously so many. I mean, when because originally when I was reading the your sci-fi book, I was thinking I could do a podcast just on all the movies in this, and it would take me years to try and just to cover these. But um, but then I started to think, well, actually, if I do that, there's loads of other Italian films as well that I like, and it's just never ending. There are so many, just you can never, no matter yeah. how hard you try. Well, at least for me, no matter how hard I try, I know I'm never going to watch them all. Um, but I think you've watched a lot more of them than I have, so maybe it's possible for me to to watch them all. Actually, oh, I don't know. I thought but, I don't um, know. <laughs> but <laughs> you've so you've you've moved away. You've mentioned this a couple of times. You've moved away from Italy for a little while, and you've actually written uh, your latest book. Just came out this year. Is on Spanish cult cinema, yeah. and I'm really fascinated by this because the book looks huge, like three hundred odd pages. Um. And it's only for but five only years. Four, yeah, a five-year period. So, <laughs> oh yes, that's pretty amazing. Um, yeah. I think, in general, I mean, so again, speaking for myself, I think cult film fans are probably less familiar with cult Spanish cinema than Italian. Yeah, cinema. that again, that that's what I I wanted to write it for is because Spanish cinema is like a completely undiscovered territory, um, mm. comparatively, anyway. You know. There are a lot of Paul Nashi fans now, and he's quite well known. And and there's look, there's there's people who can write a lot better about Paul Nashi than I can because they've they've done a lot of research into his his mm. life and talked to his family. And, and you know, there are there are people out there who can write a really good book about him. Mm. And his yeah. films are getting a lot of Blu-ray traction. Blu-ray and they're, they're yeah. look, I, and I'm I I like Paul Nashi films. They're not my entire cup of tea, but I do like them. Um, mm. But like I say, there's, there's other people who can tackle Paul Nashi a lot better than I can. And, and you know, Jesus Franco is quite well known, but, you know, Steve mm-hmm. Thrower did Steve um, did Jesus Franco in, in much more depth than I could ever bear to. Um, yeah. I, I, and I, I have to admit, <laughs> I, I've tried 
Jess Franco numerous times and I'm just not won over at all. I do like his, it's a bit like Woody Allen. I like his early ones, but his later, like, I like the early black and white kind of film noir yeah. stuff like that. I, I really love those. But when he gets to the 70s and just goes insane, which is when most people seem to really switch on with Jess Franco, that's when I turned off. No, I, I've got to so, say I, I'm I'm similar. I quite like a lot of his '60s stuff, although a lot mm. of his worst tendencies are already there. The kind of meandering kind of plot lines and mm. kind of strange kind of humorous bits, which don't really work. And 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 you know, part of the reason people love him is his kind of jazzy approach, which means he can go into some weird diversion which has nothing to do with anything else. And that, you know, yeah. I, I get why people like it, but it's not really my my thing. And by the time he's making films with Irwin Dietrich or Two female fly, two female spies with flowered panties, or whatever it is, yeah, that I mean, kind of stuff. Is no, I, that's that's not even a film I could have on the shelf in my house. You know? <laughs> no, I mean, whereas, yeah. but I do, but I do really like the awful Doctor Orloff, and yeah. uh, and you know that period of his. Yeah, um, great. The, the Satanic Baron von Klaus is the one that I um I really like. Um, it's a, that's the nearest English language title. I think it was released on DVD right, as yeah. Satanic Baron for the, the Diabolical Doctor Z. Yeah, is that's, one that's decent. So, so that bit of his career, I'm down with. But yeah, yeah. But so you meant so, which I yeah. guess is presumably in your book if you've covered those four years. Um, I did cover them. Years. I did cover them. I haven't yeah. got to Nashi yet because it was 1960 to 64. Um, so mm. Nashi's kind of like something for the future, although he does pop up in supporting roles in a couple of films, um, mm. often uncredited. Um, Jesus Franco is actually quite a well, he's quite a mainstream figure at that time as well. So he's not kind of like that wayward auteur that that no. he's portrayed as. He's he's a no, and he's he's working with Orson Welles and stuff around that period, isn't he? Yeah, he's 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 part of the cinematic. He's part of the cinema industry in Spain, slightly yeah. reluctantly, but he is at that point working in the same kind of um, industry structures and and um, confines that all the other Spanish directors are. Um, it's kind of you, yeah. Look at him as something isolated from Spanish cinema and, and something apart from it. In the seventies, he kind of strikes out mm. on his own. But at that point, he was working with Spanish producers and and you know, people like this are French producers, but Spanish primarily and Spanish actors and Spanish filmmakers and Spanish technicians. So he was a Spanish director. Um, Yeah, and like like you said, even those early films do have their moments of this kind of jazzy style and the soundtracks are often very interesting. I remember one of them, I can't remember which one it was, I reviewed it for a magazine and I described the soundtrack as being like a church organist was being attacked by a wasp. Yeah, basically, it's, it's just like somebody just going absolutely mental on yeah. a church organ, and uh, it didn't necessarily fit with what we were seeing on screen. Kind of, kind of worked. You could probably describe the scripts of most of his films as as a writer being attacked by a wasp as mm, well. But that's to true. To be yeah. honest, <laughs> but you know that's that's why people love him, and and mm. that's 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 people's taste. And uh, you know, I, I admire Franco very much. I, I admire him as you know someone who got an awful lot of films made. That was his life making films. He was obsessed mm. with making films. He managed to do it. He made a massive number, and some of them are pretty good. He had a decent visual sense when he was. Um, able to um but he also perhaps because he didn't like working with producers um he could be incredibly self-indulgent 
Um, and, you know, that, that again, is what some people like because self-indulgent yeah. is, you know. He's doing what he wanted to yeah. do. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't necessarily, necessarily what we want to watch. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean the audience is the prime thing in his mind sometimes. But no. but yeah, I mean, look, he, he and at that time in sixty sixty four, he, he was he was a very interesting filmmaker, very good. Um, mm. But you know, those two, the, they are quite well known. But beyond that, Spanish cinema is totally obscure. Not many, people, you know, a few people in the Western circles know a little bit about you know Joaquin Marchant or Joaquin Romero Marchant who started making the kind of Westerns before Leon, but you've got a whole mm. bunch of people. And in a way, this is something that interests me a bit about Italian film is there's a whole bunch of people who kind of fall through the cracks because they're not necessarily kind of known in genre circles and they're not necessarily known in the more reputable art house circles. Mm. And in Spain, there's a, there's a whole bunch of them who were very, very respected at the time who no one, no one in the English language world really knows anything about. Even even people like kind of Belanga and Bardem, who who were Oscar winners and Oscar nominees for Spain, people in in England don't remember any of these guys. You ask people, I think I, I say in the book, ask a bunch of cinephiles, get them in a room together, ask them to name Italian directors, and they'll come out with Bertolucci, Pasolini, Bellini, all of these guys trip off the tongue. Asked yeah. him to name French directors, and like Roma, Godard, all of these guys, René, and so on, so on, Renoir. Ask him to name a Spanish director, and they'll say Almodovar, and then they'll be a bit stumped, and they might come up with <laughs> Carlos Sora. But, you know, Spain was the, the second biggest cinema industry after Italy at the time. It was really fascinating, really, you know, really interesting films being made. And then the first mm. book, I go all into a genre called Cine Negro, which is basically crime films made in Italy in the early 60s, kind of, I mean, Cine Negro basically means film noir, but yeah. they're, they're equatable to kind of the crimis crossed with a film noir. And, and this is a genre that no one's really written about or looked into in Spain. Some of the films are really quite curious and interesting. Um, it's a whole, like I say, it's a whole unexplored territory. Um, and that's kind of what I quite like doing. Yeah. And how how easy was it or difficult was it to get copies of some of the films you wanted to write about? Not was, as easy. Was it a struggle? Yeah, it, it was a struggle. Um, and a, a lot of this stuff, especially from the early 60s, is not available. So you, you are having to watch it in Spanish, which is a challenge. Um, yeah. Some of it is, um, but, but most of it not. It gets mm. a bit easier as the 60s progress. So the next right. book along, because you're starting to get so many Westerns, spy films lots of spy films coming up all of this mm. kind of stuff and they they have been released in in english partially because in spain as well the opening up of the market in the early 60s meant that spanish film basically had to start looking outwards so films in the early 60s tended to be aimed at a spanish audience and they never got a release abroad um, right. so they didn't have english language versions or anything like that so you know with the westerns and and other genres Spain opened up in the 60s, tourism came in, you got your first films with bikinis in them, massive, massive moment in Spanish cinema, the oh, first bikini, yeah. Elk Sommer. Um, and oh, uh, really? Yeah, That's, and then... Um, would be her, wouldn't Yeah, it? of course. Um, and then, you know, they started making films that people would want to see abroad. And that's when you started having English language prints. And so it is easier to get, get those. And you started okay. having very classy films made. 
So what's your plan then for this first volume is uh, 1960 to 64. Yep. Have you have you got a map already laid out of, of future books? Uh, so, yeah, so I'm working on 65 to 69. So it's basically five-year intervals. Okay. Um, so that's that's the next one which I'm working on at the moment. <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to see whether I wanted to go straight into the early 70s one or take a break and do something else. <laughs> for a while um yeah. <laughs> but i do love I, I am the more i watch them the more i love the spanish stuff so i am and the early 70s is really interesting so i might well but i i wouldn't mind doing something back in italy um for a while yeah um yeah. and then at the same time i'm starting to tentatively do something on a, on a completely different um period of time and country mm. uh, which is a similar approach but for british films in the 2000s Oh, okay. um, which again well, yeah, I think yeah. is a, a similarly unexplored territory in yeah. many ways um, because there was so much stuff released and most of it's just drifted away. No one, no yeah. one knows about it anymore. And it's twenty years ago now, so and it's, it's twenty years it's ago. Old. It's old. You know, this is so, this yeah. is the age. Yeah, when it's I history. started, when I first watched what God, what Bird with the Crystal Plumage, I must have first watched that in about eighty eight, something like that. So it was 16 mm. years old. Wow. No, sorry, it was nearly, no 20 years old, yeah, about yeah, roughly yeah, 20 yeah. years old. So not yeah, not yeah, too yeah. far off, which is quite depressing. Mm. But, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Ha- happens to us all. <laughs> yeah, wow. but yeah. So that's 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 the other one I'm kind of tentatively starting as well. So so there's a few things on, um, but yeah, I suspect I'll be doing these Spanish books until I die and i'll still only be up to about 2000 or <laughs> well, 1990 or something like yeah. that well, the I, trouble is the trouble is they'll keep making films you know, well the trouble is with spanish films they're making so catch up so bloody many of them at the moment yeah. you know well poor old italy's still in the doldrums in cinema spain mm. is absolutely cracking it um you know and netflix this this is this is a, the amazing thing is on netflix people are watching you know money heist is one of the biggest mm. sellers on Netflix, a Spanish TV yeah. series. What the hell? They're making Netflix oh, are making yeah. 50, 50 Spanish films at the moment, all for broadcast on Netflix. I mean, it's amazing. It's, it is like the 60s. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's great, isn't it? The, I mean, I've, actually, funnily enough, I've been having this conversation with my students this week because everyone's talking about Squid Game. Yeah. And yeah. how Netflix has really sort of opened up world cinema and world television. Yeah and made it mainstream in a way that it just never has been before. You know, the, the best we could hope for was Channel 4 putting on some kind of Scandi drama that you, yeah. you might, a few people might watch. But now we've got things like Korean shows or Spanish shows yeah. being in the top 10 most exactly. watched in the country. Exactly. It's really quite an amazing time. It, it is. Uh, it's a bit really like, lucky. it's a bit like, the days of the video stores when you know mm. people weren't able to see et so they'd get out <laughs> whatever Ex- italian extra. sci-fi film was about <laughs> but yeah you'd, you'd end up that's how we all stumbled on this this stuff and it it is a bit like that because you're going into essentially a storefront and you're stumbling on all this weird stuff that and people yeah. are watching things that they'd never have watched otherwise which is it's fascinating I mean, I used to mainly watch things like Hammer films and stuff like that. That's what I grew up watching. And I think that's how I first discovered Italian Gothic horror. But I didn't know it was Italian Gothic horror. I just thought it was in the same sort of world as 
as Hannah, you know, so I think I probably saw Mask yeah. of Satan and uh, and stuff like that, not really knowing that that yeah. was, it wasn't British at all because it all felt like I was in the same Gothic world. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's fabulous to, to, to suddenly, what would be even better, of course, is if Netflix was also showing us old stuff too. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you need <laughs> but, Amazon you know, Prime for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All kinds of all kinds of weird old crap turns up on Amazon yeah, Prime. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> They've got a lot of weird stuff. But anyway, well, um, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to talk to us about your books. I've been I've been actually trying to track you down and contact you for a, a long time. So I'm oh. glad that we've finally been able to have this conversation. And then for it to turn out that you live just down the road from me is even funnier. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a little kind of a, a European trash film kind of community yeah. in, in, in here. Well, <laughs> and so if people want to buy your books, where is the best place to Amazon. find them? So, yeah, just go onto Amazon. It's all available there. I mean, I said if people want to buy your books. What I meant was when people want to buy your books. Absolutely. Where they go? Um, so, of course. so yeah and uh, thanks everybody yeah. for listening and um, we will be back shortly with a, a mini season of Italian Decameron based uh, movies that's the plan we're doing the Deca- can, what do they call it Decameronicans yeah so I've heard yeah I've seen them called Demer- De- I can't even say it Decameronicans Decamerici uh all sorts of things but anyway that's coming up next and the problem with those films is most of them don't have english subtitles so that's going to be really fun but (laughs) but it's mostly just people running around with no clothes on so i don't know how how much we need to understand anyway um but anyway we'll be have we'll have some of those coming out in a couple of weeks Uh, but for now thank you for listening thank you again to matt blake and we'll uh see you all again soon Cue the music. That's the end. <laughs> cool. Thank you very much. Is that, that right? Great. Cool. Perfect. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health 
Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.